The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. This is a weekly show dedicated to all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Macca19. Unfortunately, Rick's not able to join us this week, um, so we're actually speaking j- just one other poster today. We're talking to the wonderful Ford Fairlane. How are you going, mate? I'm very well, thank you, Macca. Ford Falcon is back. <laughs> he is indeed. <laughs> well, let's get straight into it. The main uh, topic for discussion this evening is going to be the 1994 season review, um, but we'll talk about a couple of key things that happened during the week this week. Um, obviously, the first one is Daniel Flynn's decision to head back home to Ireland uh, due to an ill grandfather and also a bit of homesickness. Um, what were your thoughts on that, Ford? Um, they're very disappointed, really. Um, not so much the decision. Obviously, there's there's those mitigating factors, and I think we've, I've posted on the board that it's a, it's a big big call for a young fella to come over halfway around the world to play a sport he doesn't really know, and... Uh, and he's given it. His, I think he's given it a really good shot over the summer. Done the whole pre-season. Really got involved. Has been a really um, valued and popular member of the team. And uh, it's just sad to see him see him head back before he's he's had a chance to have a crack at it. I think he showed a lot of ability, and uh, certainly he was up to it with the fitness levels. Yep. I think maybe he's been a bit. He might have been down on himself a bit that it didn't quite he didn't quite perform to the level he might have thought. But hey, he played one game at AFL level. I think maybe um, if he'd given himself a chance to play a few games at Sandford level and settled in a bit, that would have helped. Um, but disappointment just in the sense that I think he looks like he really could play the game, and then to lose him before we've really had a chance to look at him, um, it's just yeah. It, it, Disappointment is a, probably the, the main word that keeps coming back to me, and I guess I'm yeah. just hopeful that he'll spend a bit of time home, get his head together, hopefully think, well, maybe I, I will have another crack at it, and come back, you know, even if it's next year, it's, he's still a very young man, and um, yep. there's every opportunity for him to head on down this path of AFL football a bit further down the track, if that's what he needs. Yeah, you've echoed my thoughts pretty well there. Um, certainly disappointment. Um, not so much in his, uh, obviously he's going home for the right reasons, um, ill grandfather, that's fair enough, homesickness, that's fair enough. Um, I, I guess just for pure sort of selfish reasons, it's just really disappointing because you could see such a core footballer there, you know, he had all the physical attributes, you know, he was ready to go, his skill level was fantastic for someone that's, you know, barely yeah. played a game. Very clean hands for Absolutely. such a young guy that hasn't played AFL football and I guess would be used to the round ball. He just yeah. really good one hand pick up. One such a good kick as such a good kick as well. Yeah, I think um, he's obviously put a lot of time and effort into his kicking, and there were certainly those articles about him um, before he come over saying he was really, you know, almost just sleeping with a football and having it taken off him on the plane and things like that. That he, yeah. he really did put in the effort to learn the skills with the ball, and it was showing in the way he handled it and then the way he used it. Do you think maybe, I know you said on uh, on the thread on Big Footy um, that he looked almost perplexed at the end of the Crows uh, game. Do you think maybe we exposed him to AFL level a bit too soon? Yeah, I think um, Dos Seminus might have mentioned that in one of his posts and sort of looking at it there, you think, well, that might be the case. I mean, the only thing 
he went straight from an internal trial, which really played at about half pace, and then straight into an AFL game. And even though it's only a trial game, and I was at both the games, and you could see from the opening bounce of the the Adelaide game that it was the intensity was just ratcheted up. up. Yeah. A, a few steps, I think. Mm. I think it probably caught him a bit by surprise. He got caught a couple of times taking guys on, which he probably didn't expect. But you know those sort of judgment things. You don't. Well, certainly as a supporter, you don't worry about them too much, given you know where where he comes from in terms of his knowledge of the game and understanding of the game. But it, it could well have been um, a bit much of a. Uh, a learning experience, if you like, a culture shock, possibly, to him. Yeah, very true. Well, we'll move on to the next topic for discussion, which is um, a little bit of a sad one, which is the Power From Port, um, an independent Port Adelaide uh, supporter website closing. Um, I think, uh, for me, it was, along with sort of uh, a Collingwood website called From The Outer, uh, it was one of the real sort of first of its kind for independent club run uh, sort of more sort of uh, supporter run websites um, about single clubs. I mean, it sort of led the way for, for sites like Bigfooty and other places like, I guess, Dockerland and, and Bluesium and stuff like that. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I agree with you there. It was uh, a site, you know, for supporters, run by supporters, had obviously some, some uh, semi-official links. I'm not quite sure the extent to to which the official links were with the club. Certainly, I, I think uh, Vi and Mark, was it, were heavily involved with the Magpies uh, website as yep. well. So yep. there, there's clearly some some strong connections there. Uh, the connections with organisations like the Outer Army who do fundraising for the club. And um, they certainly did a lot for the club and they provided, I guess, that cyber meeting place for supporters to get together and... And clearly, you can see from the posting that went on there. I've, I was on. I used to go there and just check it out, see what was happening. And, and with their posters that have come across the big footy, there's a very strong level of camaraderie there. And, and clearly, a lot of the, the guys that post there know each other, and some spirited discussion as well as uh, same as we have on our board. And um, yeah, it, it was a unique site in in the sense that you know it was there for Port supporters and and a very strong Port Adelaide focus. Therefore, I. I wonder whether it maybe got a bit too big outside of its, if you like, outside of its core business, um, started to incorporate a range of other boards and maybe that increased the workload and that made it harder. I, I fully appreciate the, the huge workload that would have been involved in running that site and yep. for it to have grown the way it did um, could easily wear someone down. I think for... Um... For Port supporters, it was pretty well essential reading through the late 90s and early 2000s um, where there was really nowhere else to find Port-related articles outside of actually buying a newspaper. Um, so I think it was really revolutionary. Um, it, it was a great site. It had such a big um, such a big fan base and also a big um, sort of historical content to it. You know, it had lists of every player that's played for Port Adelaide, um, lots of old historical photos and, and memories and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. I think it's definitely going to be missed. Uh, absolutely. Um, there's certainly, I think a few of the members there are probably almost in shock from the well, rather sudden demise of it and from what they've posted on Big Footy since they've come across. Yeah. And you, yeah, you're right. It, it's probably left a, a bit of a hole in, in a number of people's lives given the 
the amount of information and, and the amount of discussion and engagement with the supporters that it provided. Well, we might as well go on to our main topic for discussion. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be a, a season review of the 1994 Premiership. Um, we did a bit of a review of the 1990 season last year. Um, we thought we'd go into another sort of historical season, um, and we chose 1994. It was such a dramatic year, um, and one that was really a landmark year for the Port Adelaide Footy Club, both on and off field. Um, and it ended up culminating in both uh, being invited to join the AFL. We won the second licence um, at the end of the season. Yep. And it was also uh, one of, you know, probably, if not the greatest premiership, you're certainly one of the most unlikely, I think. Um, yeah, one, of, yeah, one of the most memorable. And, Absolutely. And, and probably at one, probably 20 minutes into the first quarter, yeah, certainly one of the most unlikely. And in terms of that AFL licence, I, I remember um, at the end of the season after the grand final, there was a cartoon in the advertiser, and I'm not sure whether it was uh, an Atchison cartoon or one of the guest cartoonists they used to have um, giving him, relieving him now and again. And it depicted the bosses of the Sandfield and the AFL together in a meeting in, in AFL House or in some sort of committee room. And outside was this huge magpie casting a shadow across the meeting and at the door <laughs> I was there saying to them, um, excuse me, uh, gentlemen, but there's a Mr Port Adelaide here to see you. <laughs> and, and I think really that grand final um, is in terms of a, if you wanted to pick a single game that that stamped our authority on the AFL licence, that was the one. Definitely, without a doubt. I think um, what we might do is just have a, a very brief discussion about 1993 first, because I think that was a premiership that really got away. I think that was the one, since I've been alive, that we, we really could have and, and probably should have won. I think we finished 14-6 at the end of the minor round. We thumped Glenelg in the qualifying final. Um, then we got absolutely hammered by Woodville West Torrens um, in the second semi by about 80 points, and we ended up losing the prelim by about five goals to Nord. Um, it was a pretty disappointing end to 93, I thought. Yeah, it, it did. It did get away. Um, we, we probably lacked. There was probably something not quite there in terms of the chemistry of the team during the whole year. And I think in early '94 it was looking that way again. And then a few things happened and it clicked. But uh, yeah, it was certainly one that was there for the taking. And I think, and I'm, I'm sort of going from memory here, that we'd beaten the Eagles three times during the minor round. We did. We, I think we played twice, and we beat them both times. So okay. we, we certainly had the wood on them, and then they went bang in the second semi. I think we only scored three or four goals for the whole game and lost by uh, lost by 14 goals. Yeah, our, our odd years in the early 90s didn't quite work out for us and in 91 I think we, we snuck into the elimination final after losing half our side to some AFL team and um, came and lost that convincingly came fifth and then of course 92 with the Buckley year we ran rampant over everyone that year and, and won the premiership and then 93 never seemed to quite hit fifth gear got up to fourth a few times and Finals, which is usually our territory, was where we, we less was down. Well, on to 1994. Um, we, we had a large amount of player changes that year. We lost almost half our side, um, either through retirement or injury or, or going into the AFL. Um, I might just go through them briefly one by one if you want to give us our thoughts. I guess the main one was uh, losing Greg Phillips. 
who of course was our champion center half back and captain you know he he'd led us to grand finals and premierships in the past um it's really hard to to cover that sort of loss i think oh absolutely i mean he's just one of you know the champions of port adelaide and the, the champions of the game and you know, a, a huge number of games and a, a massive number of premierships to his name, club captain, you know, VFL experience, and just been an awesome player for the sort of those two generations of, of Kale, where the, you know, the pre-1982, when he, he played in the 1977 and 79-81 and premierships and just a dominant force at centre-half back, in, in especially in 80 and 81, and then come back uh, in 87 under Russ Lee, but and then with Jack's return in 88 and back in the centre-half back and then another six years of of just magnificent football at centre-half back, just controlling that back line and being the general back there and with Bruce Abernethy alongside him and um, you know, Fiachi and Delaney, North East Carter. I mean, you just rattle off the names of Port Adelaide defenders that were just marvellous footballers and, and such a cohesive unit and yes, definitely a, a huge hole to fill. Definitely. To accentuate that, we also lost Danny Hughes, who also retired. Yes, another big, strong defender. And I know Kale liked to throw him up forward occasionally as well, just just as a big forward presence. So I don't know if Danny was ever a big overhead mark, but just gave you that presence in the forward line. We also lost our best and fairest winner, which was Troy Bond. He went to Carlton. Mm-hmm. A very quick, skillful midfielder, uh, could kick a goal as well. That's right, yep. Um, yep, very, very talented player. I think he won uh, junior medals as well and did, yeah. was always groomed as as uh, one of those likely Port Adelaide speedy, skillful midfielders that, that were always being produced at the club and especially in the Kale years. And I guess uh, you really started to see the impact of the AFL in from the 90s on where you just kept losing these players at a very young age and we hung on to them for a long time, for a number of years. But I think it, the uh, the dam had been breached and players were just slipping through the cracks. We also lost uh, Shea Cockadoo-Collins, who kicked around about 40 goals for the year. He went to Essendon. He was one of our main goal kickers in 93. Yeah, definitely a very clever, skillful midfielder and, and goal scorer and very cheeky sort of player, ready to take the game on at any time, believed in his skills and could generally produce as well. Just a, another really super talented, quicksilver, elusive player that, again, we just lost at a very young age. Another Aboriginal that we lost was uh, Shane Bond. He was another explosive youngster. I think he was only 17 at the time. He went to West Coast. Yeah, I really liked Bond. He really quick. You know, he had almost that um, Gavin kind of speed. I think he's blisteringly quick. Peter Burgoyne was another one with that, that really blistering sort of speed that caught your eye. And Bondy, tremendously quick and skillful. His brother was probably a bit more flary as a player. And Shane was probably a bit quicker and um, just a, a really nice contrasting at times in, in that ten, in that sense pair. But both really good footballers and um, yeah, I mean, the, the, just the loss of that young talent really punched a bit of a hole in the side. Did. Damien Sheen was another um, that also went to the AFL. He went to Carlton. He was a bit of a utility toll. Could play centre-half forward and, and probably mostly centre-half back from memory. Yeah, not a not a really established player and probably more a smaller forward and back. I don't think he was particularly tall. 
Um, not really an established player. I don't think he ever quite established himself at AFL level either. No. But certainly a talented player and would have been a handy utility at Sandful level and probably a regular league player. And we also lost uh, three others who were either injured or barely played at all through the year. Three premiership heroes of the past, Adrian Setri, Paul Rosonico and Richard Foster. They didn't really play much footy in 94. No, no, and, and all, yeah, as you said, premiership players and, and great contributors, you know, Fozzy and, and Rizzo, just, you know, great club men and been around for a long time and um, whenever you needed a job done, those were the guys you would go to. Um, but the <laughs> list you're ruling off here sort of... It's a big list, isn't it? <laughs> I probably didn't even realise, I hadn't looked back at that, the list in its entirety and it's... It's half it's I think we, we came along in 94 and played as well as we did. Well, that's it. I mean, obviously, there's the outs, but there's also the ins. We got uh, two players from AFL level, uh, the main one being Tony Malakellis, who was a, a midfielder slash sort of forward flanker. Very quick, very skillful. Didn't make it at, at uh, not St Kilda, um, Sydney or Geelong. Um, no. But he came here and he was a, a fantastic player for a number of years. It was a terrific pickup for Port and um, really really contributed to the side over a number of years. Just, uh, I think it was probably, a, I guess, a, the old traditional rover in, in the AFL sense. He wasn't a, a big guy, but, you know, strong and fearless, very quick, uh, very skillful, and really contributed to the club for, for several years. Mm, I think he missed out on a McGarry medal by one vote in 95, I think it was, okay. as well. Um, Scotty Spalding was another one, uh, Earl Spalding's brother. Yeah, that's um, very handy pickup, uh, underrated. Yeah, very interesting player. player. Yeah. Not well known, I think, when he got here. He sort of knew oh, well, he's Earl Spalding's brother, but he was you know, barely a six footer and much more your skillful midfield type. And I remember a funny story about him that when he got here, the club said, oh, We'll get you a job. And that was part of the deal back in those yep. days. And so he came to port, got a job, and I think it was packing Hessian bags in a warehouse on the God. port. And it was just horrendous. He would he would be covered in this these fibres and just scratching and itchy like crazy. Going the first thing he'd do is jump in the shower and wash all this crap off. And he um, he finally got a jacket out after a while and went out and got himself a job as a coke rep, um, yep. going from to supermarkets and much more civilised and much more enjoyed that. Got to you know meet people and drive around, stay clean, not get covered in in scratchy old fibres. So mm. I, think it, I think it helped his football as well. I don't think he was very happy at one stage there during the year. But no, once... he did get dropped uh, sort of around about halfway through the year. I think he played a little bit of reserves footy and then came back and moved to a back flank and was uh, was much better. Darren Barch was the other one we got. Um, he played, uh, well, was on the list at West Coast and also the Adelaide Crows. Um, we yep. got him from West Adelaide. Yep. And he really played the first half of the season yeah. and sort of disappeared a little bit. Played a couple of games early and, and he just didn't seem, I don't know whether he had injuries and just sort of almost disappeared with, without mention during the year. And I, I don't recall him the next year. If he was there, he certainly... No, he, he certainly wasn't there in 95. No, he left. Yeah, um, just sort of <laughs> faded away. And I don't know I don't know what happened there, but um, looked the goods. I mean, he was a big, strong kid. He was mobile, could get his hands on the ball, was, was fairly mobile around the ground. But, it, yep, just didn't work out. That's it. I guess it was all about the youngsters, though, that came through. I mean, 
just the football academy we had back in those days, we just constantly churned out these fantastic footballers. And these are some of the names that came through and became regulars in 1994. Um, I guess the main one was probably Daryl Wakeland, who was 19 years old at the time. He um, he filled in the hole at centre-half back that Greg Phillips left. Yep. He had a pretty good year. He was pretty solid. I think um, he got clobbered by um, Sam Filippo in uh, one of the games, I think in the, the Anzac Day game early in the year. Got KO'd. Um, had a really um, ordinary second semi-final, as I recall. Yeah. Jack basically put the asset on him and said, you, you perform like that again, you won't play any more finals. You won't be playing in a grand final. If we get there, obviously, we had to still win the prelim final. And um, he just responded magnificently. I mean, he won the Jack Odie medal in the end. So mm. he he really showed some strength, the character there, and, and some real football talent skill. And I think everyone sort of was, was almost a bit of a, an underdog thing with him in that final and that he lifted his game to that high level was was terrific to see and very important, you know, given the player who he'd replaced at centre-half back. Yeah. Well, playing alongside Daryl was uh, Stephen Carter, who was a absolute brute of a footballer, oh. playing on a half-back flank. He'd played one game about three years earlier, just out of the blue as a 17-year-old. Um yep. Nearly left Port Adelaide, I think. Um, I think he got drafted by Essendon and he chose to stay. And he became a real key player in 1994. Yeah, Karts was just fantastic. He was... he was Just a typical Port Adelaide player. Yeah, you know, long hair, Guernsey out, socks down. Must have been gone around six foot one or two and 90-odd kilos. Big, powerful guy. Very quick for his size. Yeah. Um, very good reader of the play, very aggressive player, and Karts wasn't averse to giving you a crack if he thought you'd, you needed it. Oh, absolutely. And um, just real, almost cult figure at Port and got himself on an AFL list with the power, which was, was great. Didn't quite work out for him, unfortunately, but um, oh, I just I love Karts. He was just such a good halfback. So one of the power, that swarming defence, uh, just, you know... Relentless. Like, a, pa- like a, a, a pack of cape hunting dogs breathing down a, a gazelle or a new. Um, they were just so strong and hard at the ball and, and tough at their opponents, and he just fitted that mould perfectly. Yep. Speaking of uh, hunting dogs and cult heroes, big Daryl Paul, the big Paulie. Big Paulie, yeah. Just he was a, a ruck sort of half forward. Um, yeah. He made 1994 his own, really. He, he really stamped himself on that year. Yeah, really big, powerful guy. I've never been quite convinced of what Pulley's height was. Port kept claiming he was six foot five. I always thought he was about six foot two. But would have gone well. It was only about one ninety centimeters. I've seen so many variations. I think when he was playing AFL, Port were claiming he was one hundred and ninety-five centimeters. So when we threw him in the ruck, it seemed like a legitimate thing to do. I reckon he looked he looked about 188 to me, but he must have gone about 105 kilos. He was just a big, powerful guy, and he had the big ponytail back then, and and would just claw you. I mean, it's just a, I think it was a aggression. Port Adelaide aggression was was built on those, you know, Foss Williams initially, but John Cale teams as well, and probably certainly fit that that mould. He was just such a big, powerful guy, but. Tremendous mark. I remember shaking his hand one day, and he just about squished my hand into, you know, a flipper. It was just, um, he was just so strong. He really um, was a brilliant player as well. I mean, he's yeah. probably one of the most underrated players of 
of that Port Adelaide era where everyone talks about his toughness and, you know, he got suspended for a couple of grand finals and yeah, that's right. all that sort of thing. But he could change a game. He could turn a game in Port Adelaide's favour yeah. almost like no other uh, in that just era. tremendous hands. And I think the thing I still remember all these years later is just his, his quickness of his handball. It was like... Um, quick sort of handball from a guy his size, uh, out of packs to guys running by. I mean, not not the most elegant of kicks. Um, I guess he had functional kick, we'd call it. But the way he got ball, balls out of packs and out of congestion, and you know, half a dozen guys hanging off him, it didn't matter, and um, it was just superb to watch. He just released players brilliantly, and, and I think Kale would have loved that in you know, a big big forward playing up the ground. There are two other forwards uh, that did sort of debut in 1994. That was Simon Pedler, who was a young full forward, and also Troy Olsen, who was a bit of a man-child, sort of a centre-half forward, half-forward flank, um, yeah. also 19 years old. Yeah, very... Looked about 39. Looked about 30, I think. Um, I saw him in a, one of those um, country games after he'd retired, uh, and he not long about up. 48 kilos, I think. Yeah, and, he, and he looked about 50 years old. I was like, who's that old bugger out there? And then that Troy Olsen. <laughs> he old. would have only been about 23 at the time as well. Yeah, he, he wasn't too old. He would have, <laughs> I mean, he was after he retired, so he might have been, he might have been 30 because he, he was fairly young when he when he walked away from it, as I recall. Yeah, but, he got drafted by Collingwood, I think, somehow. And I think he went over, the, over there for a year in 96 and... Um, was kind of never heard of again. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a funny one, Troy. Um, could really play a very quick, very strong, good overhead. Uh, a bit of an enigma. I don't definitely I don't, an enigma. And uh, yeah, certainly, yeah, he he was um, he went on to play in the Premiership side as well. So yeah. as as I think, you just had to pull on a Port Guernsey to do that during that KLE era. Pretty much. There were three sort of, or maybe two young uh, midfielders as well. Uh, we'll touch on Andrew McLeod after because he was he's worth a, a chat on his own. But mm-hmm. two others in uh, Michael Gaffney and Troy Hull who came in and played some pretty decent footy. Um, Troy Hull's a bit of a, a disappointing story in that he, he did his uh, collarbone, I think it was, in the prelim. Yeah. And, and, and was really starting to play some great footy as a midfielder. Yeah, I think it was he was one of those guys that just needed to pick up the pace of the game a bit early on, and, and once he did, he was he was a very skillful player. I don't think he was particularly quick, as I recall, but a, re, a good size. And of course, a, a young seventeen-year-old debuted uh, midway through the year um, by the name of Andrew McLeod, um, and he ended up having just one of the most great AFL careers you could possibly think of. Uh, just astonishing. I think um, when you first saw him, you knew he was something special. I mean, he was a, a bit of a, a chunky kid, but um, very quick. Just great instinct for the game. Read it beautifully. Dangerous around goals. I think as a, as a half-back um, in those premiership years at Adelaide, almost impassable. You rarely saw a guy who just read the game about three moves ahead of everyone else like he did. He would just, in, his ability to intercept uh, opposition attacks and cause a, turn, cause a turnover just simply from his own reading of the game and his brilliance was unparalleled. And I think as a young guy sitting up in the forward line, lurking around half forward, also very dangerous and um, 
able to kick goals, carry the ball, happy to take the game on. I guess uh, we'll have a, a little bit of a quick chat about Woodville West Torrens. They merged in 1991 um, after the Crows joined the AFL. Um, mm-hmm. They won the flag in 1993. They won two flags, uh, two night flags, sorry, in 93 and 94. Um, and they were one of those real sort of tough, arrogant, conceited sort of SANFL teams that knew they were good and lived up to it. They were full of pre- and post-AFL players. Um, what were your thoughts on them back then? They they were just a really strong team. You could see Bruce Winter as their coach um, had taken over from Barney and would really model them on Port Adelaide, I thought. I mean, he filled the key positions, the really big, strong guys. They had a lot of pace and skill around the ground, a lot of size and strength. They clearly worked hard on on the Port Adelaide model of, of big, strong, aggressive type players. And and certainly when we played them, it they were tough games because they, they didn't back down. You know, we'd try a bit of rough stuff on them and they'd give it straight back. And they were a very strong side, very strong across the ground, good players in a lot of positions, um, strong ruck, strong key positions, quick rovers, skillful, skillful flankers and wingmen. Very good side, and I think you know, basically they were set up as you know for the dynasty. I think there was all yeah. certain among their supporters the talk was of the dynasty, and uh, I know coming into that grand final, that their supporters thought, oh, you know, Port will put up a bit of a fight for a while, and then we'll pull away. You know, it won't be a big loss for them, probably only 40, 50 points. That was the sort of the way they were thinking, <laughs> and so yeah, um, very they were arrogant. Well, they had. Um... Just in their grand final 20, they had 15 players that had an AFL career either before or after that match. And there was probably three or four others. I think Lawrence Shackey and Romano Negri didn't play in the grand final, but they had AFL experience as well. So yeah, they were chock full of talent. You know, on, on every Jason, line, they, they had big, talented players. Absolutely. And, and Jason Spear probably should have had an AFL career. <laughs> Somebody ruined that for him. No doubt we'll touch on that a little bit later on. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. Moving on to us, uh, Port Adelaide, of course, um, I guess we'll, we'll just briefly touch on this. I mean, the first half of the year, we were kind of not really into it. I think we were five and six at the halfway mark of the season. We are out of the five. There was one match we were nine goals to zero up against West and lost by a point. Yeah. Uh, was... Scott, I think it was on a Friday night at Footy Park and Scotty Simister took a hanger in the goal square and on the siren and kicked the winning goal after the siren or something. Yeah, it was that, that game. It was horrible. Horrible. You had that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely had that disgraceful. It was, it was reasonably early. In the, I think it was around, around six or seven. Um, and it was a, sort of in a loss. It was probably the, our third loss in about four weeks. So we opened the season with a couple of big wins over South Adelaide and Norwood. Uh, lost a couple, won one, and then lost that one to Westies and really could have derailed the season but around there, I guess. But, yeah, it was a, was a terrible result. And obviously, uh, we'd lost by 11 goals to Woodville West Torrens a bit earlier than that. About round four, they'd, they'd smashed us. Uh, I think one of the things that was happening with us, I think when Scotty Hodges came back as a full-time full forward at Port and we were playing Hodges and Tyler as a two-pronged attack and, and they were quite effective, I think. By about round seven or eight, they'd kicked over 50 goals between them. Yeah. But it still wasn't quite gelling. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think 
there was a bit of, you know, which one do you go to? Because they're both full forwards, they lead to similar places. And while they worked it out pretty well between them, it was almost a bit like for, for Scotty coming back from from Adelaide and having to do that same thing with Maltra. I'm just going back in time here and off topic, I know, but why Graham Corns took Scott Hodges off in that 93 prelim final when they had Essendon scored doubled at half time and were all but in the grand final. Well, we've I'll just got to know. thank him for that probably. And it was one of the factors, key factor for them losing that game. Um, and for Scott saying, well, I've had enough, I'm going to go back and play Sandful now. I, I just want to quickly jump back pre-season. It just reminded me was that we played Essendon in a trial game. Um, it was part of Port Adelaide's push to put their name up in front of the the AFL licence deciders. And we would be playing the next year. We played the Dockers for the Dock Lanes Trophy in a pre-season game. And we played Essendon, who were the defending premiers. And I think Essendon sent over about four premiership players. I mean, if, if it was the baby bombers that won in 93, it was the embryo bombers <laughs> that played us in this trial game. And, and we've absolutely destroyed them. I think we won by 75 points. Yeah. Mark Tyler kicked five goals and Meadie kicked a couple. And I think Olsen kicked three. Uh, Damien Angove and uh, Mark Williams and um, Tony Malakellis are all on the best players. But I also remember that game where... We were all looking forward to watching Gavin Wanganeen play. And Gavin basically said, no, I can't play against Port Adelaide. And he pulled out on the day of the game. He told Sheedy, no, I won't play against him. Mm. I guess the, the turning point was a match against Glenelg. Um, at Glenelg Oval, we won by a, a small margin of 132 points. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. It was the debut of Andrew McLeod. He kicked three goals and had about 20 touches that day. Uh, there was another Super. short uh, Aboriginal player called Trevor May who kicked four goals that day as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a, a reasonably well-known key forward wearing number 11, kicked eight. He did. To bring up his uh, 47th goal for the year yep. at that point. That was, the, was about uh, around 13, did you say? Yeah, it would have been about that, yep. 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 There were 10 matches for the rest of the year. We went nine wins and one loss for the rest of the minor round. So it really did kick-start our year. The only loss we had was to Woodville West Torrance. Yeah, the very next week, yes, we was. lost by seven goals to them. And I was at that game, sitting in the grandstand at Woodville Oval. And I thought after that game, that was the last time they would beat us that year. I actually, even though we'd, we'd lost it fairly comfortably, they, they had a 10-goal quarter where I think just everything went right. Umpiring decisions, bounce of the ball. Um, it was really the difference between the two teams. Yep. Of course, unsurprisingly, I was wrong because they did beat us again <laughs> that year, but, but not when it mattered, no. so I'm going to claim that. But certainly from at that point, that from that Glenelg game on, um, I think in the next, what was it, 13 rounds, Scotty Hodges has booted... Ooh. Six or more goals in seven of the last ten minor round matches. Absolutely. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he's in, I think in round 23, he brought up... He brought up the ton yep. with the 10, 10 goals against Glenelg again uh, to, to get to 107 and kicked another seven in round 24 when we beat with the West Torrens by 82 points at Alberton. Smashed them. Absolutely. Absolutely it was a, smashed them. I think a, a result no one really expected. I think we'd, we'd won about you know, nine in a row before that game, something like that. We'd, we'd beaten Norwood at Norwood, which was always a good omen for us for premierships. You can beat Norwood at Norwood. We were, we were always travelling well. And 
we ran into that that Woodville West Torrens game and really with a head of steam we'd, we'd beaten Glenelg by I think 19 points a week before Scotty had kicked 10 and brought up the ton and um, just destroyed them in that game I think there was a bit of talk like Winter had rested a few was resting a few players because he knew they were, they were having the, the week off yeah. and well that's it they, they had top spots sewn up and they had a few sore bodies, so he's going to give them a bit of extra rest. Well, this is and... why I thought they were arrogant, because Winter, after that game, came out and said, well, then we're never going to lose like that again, because A, uh, finals aren't played at Albert and Oval, and B, we, we can't right. play that bad ever again. So, yeah, that's don't right. expect yeah. that to happen. <laughs> no, no, that, that's, that's not going to happen again, but... Um... And uh, I think just uh, the mention of that year, uh, Gary McIntosh won the McGarry Medal that year with 22 votes. He did. A, a miracle Brody that he wasn't suspended at some point during the year. Yes, Gary managed not to punch anyone with the arm while looking. Um, won the McGarry Medal. Tony Malakellis pulled 12 votes. He was he led he was led the board for Port Adelaide. Yep. And um, really showed, I think. His his class during that year that you know the umpires first season the umpires usually take a while to work out who you are, and I already finished ten behind McIntosh who who had twenty two but still you know he led Port Adelaide's voting. He was best on ground in round one and got the three votes, um, so he started the bang I think. They, they did notice him then from the outset. Mm. Well, well, we'll jump in, in and talk about the finals because it was quite an interesting final series. Um, we played Central District in the qualifying final. The day before, mm-hmm. um, North Melbourne, I can't remember who they played, I think it was Hawthorne, they had the very first drawn final that would go into extra time at AFL level. Then the very next day, the same thing happened for the first time at SANFL level with the uh, with the qualifying yeah. final going into extra time. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those weird coincidences in football, isn't it? That something like that would happen. <laughs> no, no, and, and uh, I guess we were playing central districts in the qualifying final, and you. I think at one stage it looked like we had we had that game pretty much won, and then suddenly central's very late in the game. Kicked five goals in the last ten minutes. Kicked five goals. That's right. It took a, a seven-point lead with about what was it less than a minute to play. And then Scotty kicked one. Got to keep running. Daisy Ball Ace kicked a point. Yeah, Level the scores yeah. with about five seconds Leveled. left, I think it was. And then um, I think uh, Scotty kicked a couple in time on, didn't he? That that uh, sealed the game. They did, yeah. Yeah, well, the guy they they probably disliked the most as well because he he uh, lived in Central Zone yeah. and stood out of football. They they forced him to stand out of football. So he'd go to Port Adelaide, which is also always really weird because his father played um, some footy for Port, no, only a few games. But these days, I mean, father, son, rule in Sandford, I think one game, one league game will get you in. Yep. And But back then, clearly the rules were different because he he was forced out of football by Central's um, to qualify for Port Adelaide. And he was, and that was only after he'd played under-15 Sandboy Cup and, and had some played some really good footy for Port. And then Central's realised that he was in their zone and then told him, no, you've got to come and play for us. And, I, and that was basically right over my dead body. I'm playing for Port Adelaide. And they said, well, then we're not going to clear you. And so he had to go that, that old route of standing out of football, out of league football, to get a clearance to the club of his choice. 
and uh, so the, there was never any love lost between Centrals and Hodges, certainly. And I think uh, he might have got a little bit of extra enjoyment out of being the guy that sank them in that final. Absolutely. The next week we played uh, Woodville West Torrens. We got smashed by 73 points. Sammy Phillip yeah. was best on ground, gave Daryl Wakeland an absolute pasting. Yeah, yep. I think Wake's got the message from Jack then. Yeah. You've got to do something better than this next game. I'll give you one more game where you're out. And um, just, yeah, it was a, a terrible game. I, I honestly can't even remember it anymore. Block it out of my memory. All I remember is we got hammered. It was uh, terrible. I was like 23. Was wet. Yeah. I always remember someone was having a go at Darren Smith behind me, a port supporter, and I went nuts at them because I thought, well, this is just ridiculous. Darren's such a hero, such a good yeah. player. And back then, you know, he was always getting abused by all and sundry just about, and it was just so unwarranted. Yeah, yeah that's right. I remember the, you know, the jokes about, you know, Darren Smith in his handbag, and I would tell people, hey, mate, you have a look in the handbag and see how many premiership medallions <laughs> there are. Exactly. There was, he was, oh, he was, and Cale loved him. I mean, Cale thought. With good reason. He was, he was a fantastic a really footballer. Really tough Cale thought he was tough. He said, all right, I didn't run in and bowl blokes over and stuff. But he said, you want someone to back into a pack who will stand under a, a hospital ball. Darren Smith was a guy. Never, never, ever showed any fear. Was Would get cleaned up, would get hit. Didn't care, you know, he just, he went at the footy. Uh, yeah, he didn't. He didn't smack guys around like Pulley did, but he, he was. Didn't um, he didn't have to. Very brave. Tough in very his own way. Yeah, absolutely. Super you know, quick. Head over the ball. And his ability to take a mark and turn on a dime and dish yeah. off a handball, oh. you know, almost in the one action, was just unparalleled. Yeah. I think he's probably. I mean, I've watched a lot of SNFL footy and NAFL footy in my time, but I think he's probably the most underrated player in the SNFL history. I think. Which is stupid yeah, when you're thinking about someone that's played 350 games and won eight premierships. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous that you know even now you sort of people mention and you see them roll their eyes and you think, what's a guy have to do? Yeah. You know, I mean, it was almost that trademark. He was run up, they got up to the wing, mark the ball, turn on the spot, run past the lumbering centre half back who was working his way back around in a big circle through the third row of the, the grandstand of Pretty Park to get around. And he was gone. He was down the ground. He was either kicking. It was a beautiful kick for goal. He was either banging it through or hitting someone on the chest with a pass. Just a, a super footballer. Um, huge fan of Darren Smith. Always have been. We played uh, Central Districts again in the prelim. We won by 90 points. Yeah, Troy absolutely Olsen, smashed them. Big Troy Olsen and uh, Simon Pelle kicked nine goals between them. That's right. Scotty, Scotty just a lazy three. Yep. And we kicked, in the last quarter, we kicked uh, 10 goals, 6 to 1 goal, 2, which was a, a bit of an omen of what was to come. I mean, it, it wasn't, it was probably, you know, 20 something points at three quarter time yep. and blew out blew out to 90 because of that last quarter. Yeah. And um, it, yeah, it was just a, a huge result. Um, in the end, and I think uh, the, the fitness of the team and Cale's ability and, and Arnfield with him at the time to, to prepare a team for finals really started to show in those games and, and with what followed the next week. Yeah. As mentioned earlier, Troy Hull uh, dislocated a shoulder or did his collarbone. He missed the grand final. And, of course, Big yep. Paul Lee. Um, I don't know what <laughs> went through his head, but uh, in front of the umpire, he, he gave uh, Simon Lewis, I think it was, a massive headbutt. Well, actually, um, himself. what what happened there was he he wasn't actually pinged at the ground. Mm. Well, 
he Lewis was reported for striking him, and then they they watched the video, and then on the Monday, um, the SANFL video reviewers laid this, the headbutting charge against Daryl Paul. I mean, Central's had sort of come out and made some noises. Oh, there was provocation. There was a contact made to, to Lewis' head before he hit Paul. And funnily enough, the guy who brought the charges on behalf of the Sandful was Lee Wicker. <laughs> and um, oh, and Paulie was actually... Good old Lee We went through the weekend as, as supporters thinking, oh, every day, well, ha-ha, Lewis, bad luck for you. And then we find out Monday, and I think... That it, and then it just went straight up to the tribunal. And he's, he's copped, I think, was it five games? Yeah, it was about... Lewis got a castle for punching him and probably got five or six for the headbutt. Yeah. It was... Uh, it's funny, Lee Wicker was, was, uh, was the one that uh, suspended yeah, Russell Johnson that, that as well. Name. Just keeps popping just up, doesn't it? Just the gift that keeps on giving. Lee Wicker. <laughs> 20 years ago. Oh. 20 years ago, he was, he was still there doing stuff to us. And I'm sure for it's many like a years venereal disease. He's, he's like a... Like a, a character out of an H.P. Lovecraft novel that he seems to transcend time and dimension to hunt us down <laughs> and try and damage us. Oh, God. Well, Stephen Williams and Roger Delaney came back in for those two players. They missed the prelim. I think uh, both of them had hamstring injuries from memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and a bit of a quirk in the draw meant that um, Woodville West Torrance had only actually played three games in the uh, pr- in the prior 36 days leading up to the grand final. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right, we came to that grand final. They had not played a lot of footy, but it didn't seem to affect them too much. They certainly came out in that first quarter and were all over us like a cheap suit. Absolutely. I mean, I think they were the shortest-priced favourite in uh, in grand final history. They were, they were yeah, pretty well unbackable, given the uh, the history between the two clubs that year. And you're right, they did. Yeah. They just came and... I'm not even sure what happened, but we were just absolutely thrashed in the first 25 minutes of that quarter. Yeah. Yeah, they were they were just all over Six us. Six goals, um, five to zero goals, three. It was twenty five minutes into the first quarter. And and then um, Timmy Juniper somehow managed to start a fight and get a free kick. He did. I think uh, for me, the turning point almost of the game was um, Brett Chalmers started in the ruck and he was absolutely pantsed early, um, which is yep. quite unlike him. He got dragged, um, and mm-hmm. Darren Mead um, he came off the bench and really gave us a big spark to finish that quarter. It was actually only his second game in four months, Meaty. Um, he came in for the prelim, I think, and, and played the grand final as well. Um, and he got the he got the ball moving in Port's direction a couple of times, and that led to the ball being in that forward pocket when uh, when Timmy yeah. clobbered a free worn, I think it was, and, and won a free kick. And then he, yeah. uh, I think he got a free kick in the ruck and, and banged it forward for Scotty, who took a one-hander and kicked a goal um, straight after that as well. That's right, and suddenly it, it's less. Than, I think it was less than 25, 24 points. The difference at, at quarter time was was um, just under four goals, and you sort of thought, "Well, we're back in it." You yeah, know, it's only quarter time of a grand final. Twenty-two and, points. Um, it was at quarter time. Yeah, yeah, two four to six two, I believe, and um, right back in the game. And I, I think from from that point on, I think Port really started to assert themselves. I think on the scoreboard, we just weren't doing it. Second second quarter, I think it was 2-2 two, two to 2-3 two, in their favour. Yep. So 23 points It was pretty well at dead heat, really, the second quarter. It was, was but I think even even John Cale said after the game, he thought in that second quarter, he thought we took control of the game. I've always likened it to, to two of those big mountain goats that butt heads 
and you, they were just, and that's what Port and the Eagles were doing for a quarter and a half, and just cracking heads together. Yep. But I think their knees buckled. It was a some pretty crappy day quarter. as well. It was a. It was. It was very. It was very wet. Like the sun came and... out day, but early on it was. It, it was wet and it was windy. It was, um, I, I vaguely recall banners falling apart before, I think Paulette's banner just tore apart and Paul yeah. didn't bother running through it. It was just sticky tape by the time they got to it and the Eagles came out first and just, just got through theirs. Um, and certainly at halftime we thought, well, it's, it's still only 23 points and we we seem to be on top. But, you know, could we convert that into... Um, into something meaningful. I think too also worth mentioning by this time Mark Tyler was playing in defence. Yes. He'd been Scotty went on his goal scoring rampage from the middle of the year to go from, from thirty goals to a hundred in about eight rounds. He pretty well swapped uh, Troy Olsen and Mark Tyler's roles, I think. Yeah, Tyler's sort of slipped into defence and was very good back there and I think, you know, he he missed out in ninety three, I think. Um, obviously he didn't play in uh, sorry, I mean, in 92, I think he missed out in the grand final, had a, a couple of injuries that just were enough to keep him out of the side and missed out the premiership there. Yep. So, uh, And early in 92, had kicked a lot of goals during the season. 96, I think it was, or 98. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. very close to the 100, then broke his hand, I think it was. More than I, more than I recall there, but mm. um, I think Scott Scotty sort of came, you know, was cut loose of the Crows, um, because they weren't in the finals, and so was, he was back at Port and Cale basically went with Hodges as a key forward in 92, and of course, as always, Scotty didn't let him down, and Tiles probably just had a few niggling injuries, and so it was a real... I remember Tiles after the game being so emotional um, because he'd, he'd played in that grand final, and he'd played really well. I mean, he played, I think, on... Was it on Scotty Morfitt and that? Yeah, I think he moved... He, he started on, uh, on Taylor... And then moved to Morfitt after quarter time, I think, because Morfitt right. had kicked, I think, three goals in that first quarter. Yeah, he really tore and, the game and, open. And and Tolles shut him down. He was, I think, Morfitt was barely sided. He might have, he might have kicked their goal in the last quarter, but yeah. he was, he was unsided. So a really, really great uh, day for Tolles to really deserve that. Pretty unlucky for someone that played. I think it was around about 160 games of SANFL footy for Port Adelaide. He only played in the one grand final. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he pretty much became a regular throughout sort of 87, 88 when our era of dominance really started. So he's very, yeah. very unlucky. He's he's uh, one of those guys that just didn't quite fall his way like it did to some others. You know, um, players that were just plucked out of reserves and got a game or a Fozzie playing in a, in a premiership side where Jack had just basically pulled him out of the reserves and said, I need... I need a player I can trust in a final. You're it. Yep. You know, in a premiership. I remember Tony Hannon way, going way back, being pulled out of country footy by Cale in 1980 to replace Tony Giles mm. and plays in a premiership. <laughs> he was playing in Port Pirie or something for, for the year because he was a teacher and, and got shifted into a country school. And, you know, and, and then you've got the other side of someone like Mark Tyler, who's, as you said, played all those games and plays in one grand final. That's it. But one of the ones you'll never, ever forget. Definitely. If, you, if you're going to play in one, that's probably the one you wanted to that, play in. That, that was the one to be in. Mm. So we came out in the third quarter. I think really we took control of the third Definitely. quarter. The sun we, came we out. Them. Yep, sun came out. Port came out to play. The Eagles had kicked one goal or two in that third quarter. And Port up to almost the siren at three-quarter time kicked one goal seven. Yep. They'd 
just missed opportunity after I think three or four really gettable goals. Gettable goals, little gimme goals for you know even guys like Rowan Smith were missing, and then right on the on the three quarter time siren, uh, Stephen Williams kicked their second goal for the quarter. Yep. I think we were twelve points down at three quarter time, and everyone's really tense because this game's just so close by then. But everyone's thinking, well, Port Adelaide dominated the quarter, couldn't convert. Did they really have it? Was there another shot left in in the breach? Could they? Could they keep it going? And I guess that was the feeling then, at, the, at the ground. I remember the feeling at the ground was sort of, well, has Port sort of burnt all their petrol tickets because they've had a pretty tough month. Um, yeah. Eagles have barely played a game. They're fresh as a daisy. But in the end, I think that actually yeah. worked against them. Well, uh, yeah, I, I think they, well, they couldn't get their hands on the ball in the end, so it's a bit hard to tell. <laughs> if they could have actually won the footy, maybe, maybe they would have run with it. I don't know, but... Uh, I guess going back to that prelim final where we kicked 10-6 to 1-2 in the last quarter, you look at this game, we kicked nine goals, three to one goal, two. It was it was just Incredible. extraordinary. I mean, you, you just couldn't believe it. Within a couple of minutes, the, the lead was gone. Um, we were basically on level pegging, and we just, just kept banging them through. I mean, Scotty Hodges just he played the had... quarter century. Oh, absolutely. Scotty had only four disposals and one goal to three-quarter time. I, th- I yeah. think it's worth mentioning this because Jason Sphere, he had killed him all year, basically. Yeah. Um, especially in the second semi-final, I think Scotty only had about two or three kicks. Um, here we are again in, in the grand final, and Spears thrashed him again. Um, yeah. And the last quarter, I mean, where do you pull that from? He kicked five goals. Jason Spear, I think we've spoken about it on the podcast before, but Spear was probably the best fullback. Well, definitely the best fullback outside of the AFL system at that point, who was of a draftable yeah. age. He was only about yeah. 22 or 23 at the time. So yeah, many and, people and thought he was, he was ready to go up to the next level, yeah. and it never happened after that game. It, no, it killed his no. career. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, even even at Sanford level, I think he, he sort of was never the same. Plotted around for a couple of years, I, and that was it. Didn't play for a long time after he. I know he was a police officer, and I think probably you know shift work certainly doesn't help you with um, with football training and playing. And uh, while some players have, have obviously combined those careers, I think he probably then started a fo- might have started to focus more on his job as well. Um, but if had he got the call up the AFL level, certainly the, the story went that. Um, he was still, he was expecting to be drafted. I think a couple of clubs had promised him they would draft him. Come the draft, his name never got called out. He actually called one of those clubs up and said, well, "What happened? What happened? Are you calling out my name on draft day?" And their response was, "Well, what happened to you in the last quarter of the grand final?" I mean, it really did. That that is the ultimate troll. <laughs> what a great troll! That's brilliant. Must have been a Victorian club because they're they're very cool. Very cool, Very cool. Um, but it was it was just I mean Scotty took it's marks really nice. I mean that that run down tackle on on Speary where he's basically caught him dragged him down and Speary's just lost the ball the umpires the whistle other big theatrical holding you the could ball. see his heart break at that ball, moment I think. you could see his heart he's tearing banged. too when that happened it was it was just amazing and, and I just at the ground I, I watched that you watch that last quarter now and again on YouTube or you know, if you've got it on DVD and it still sends shivers down your spine and makes the hairs on your your arm stand on end it's the, the noise of the crowd and 
you know, the, the commentators were just blown away by it. I think they, they were just astonished by what Port Adelaide did. And, and I think David McKay was one of the commentators. And I think he was quite enjoying the way the Eagles had been travelling for about a year. But even he had nothing but respect for Port for what they did. But that, that last quarter was just one of the, the most amazing quarters of football you'll see. To do that in any game, you know, it can happen. But in a grand final against a team that was setting itself up as a dynasty that was had smashed us you know, by 60 points and 40 points during the year, destroyed us by 73 two weeks earlier. It was just extraordinary. You, you just didn't expect it. At three-quarter time, you thought, we're only a couple of goals down there. We might be able to pinch this. And you didn't think you'd just come out and just steamroll them. Absolutely. I mean, it was, Seven goals was, won in 14 minutes to start the quarter we kicked. I mean, it's unheard of. I remember once a guy I used to work with told me about when he was at Duntroon and one of his fellow cadets machine-gunned a cow <laughs> with an M60. He got drummed out, obviously, for that. Yeah. And uh, and looking back, I guess that if, if you could imagine that visually, that was sort of what was happening to the Eagles. They were just exploding in front of you. It was like, you know, Robocop or something. And they were in pieces. Yeah. It was uh, it was just frightening. It's and, definitely one um, of the most um, dramatic grand final quarters in, in oh, history. Yeah. At yeah, any yeah. level you can think of. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, to be you know the last quarter of a game that's on the edge, and the teams coming from behind is the one that that explodes, and the one that hasn't had any rest through the finals. I mean, it it was just um, completely against all likelihood and um, the antithesis of what you expected would happen in a, in a game of football. Mm. Now, the Jack Odie medalist, Daryl Wakelin, he absolutely killed Filippo, someone who smashed him two weeks earlier in the second semi. As we said, Jack Hale pretty much put his, his spot in the, uh, in the finals yep. on the line, and he kept Filippo to just one mark and three kicks for the game. And this is a guy that was probably, from memory, he was the centre-half forward, um, in the SANFL team of the year that year, he he yeah. went to the oh, went yeah. to the AFL, I think in '95 and played for uh, Footscray for a couple of yeah. games, and he just absolutely pants him. It was one of the yeah, big I'm, grand final drubbings, I think. And I'd have to say too that Philippo didn't have a great reputation in big games. I think um, I don't know. I don't think he'd had a very good final series a year before. He'd been particularly dominant. I think in state games too, he hadn't really done a lot. And uh, so I think he had a few demons as well coming into that game that really had been overlooked because of just the the form of the of the whole team. Um, and he certainly didn't conquer his demons, whereas Wakelin seemed he's you know spiralling out of the ground. I mean, the other good players, I don't think Northeast was probably second best. He he just had a huge game. He just smashed everyone he played on. Stephen Williams, as you said, came back from injury and just played a superb game. Just won the ball, kicked important goal, kicked an important goal. Um, Scotty Spaulding was superb all day. He just ran off half-back, pushing up into the midfield, got plenty of footy. Delaney, who'd come back from injury again, just controlled the fence and, and was superb. Really beat a, Scotty Holders. Stuart Nicholl and Andrew Taylor, he played on for most of the day. Yeah. And they oh. had no real influence on the game at all. We used, to, we used to call Andrew Taylor showbags you know, <laughs> because of the big blonde hair and, and some pretty extravagant gestures about the way he played. And 
to shut those guys down. I mean, Nickel had kicked a hundred goals and and was a really good full forward and just just destroyed him. Hodges, of course, you know, just in the end, for one for one extraordinary quarter of football, you know, leapt into the best players and and Timmy Jenova was was fantastic all day. Jenova really was hard. probably my next in line for the Jack yeah. Odie Medal. I thought he was uh, just such a great captain's performance. Just. Timmy, Timmy really got such great Adelaide spirit, super Port Adelaide spirit, and just never, he never ever gave up. I mean, Kenny Hinckley would love Tim Geneva. Um, just one of the, the most the dedicated, professional, um, spirited Port Adelaide players you'll ever see. I think um, kicked a couple of goals as well. He finished with two. McLeod kicked two. Williams kicked two. I think um, Badler kicked one. And Scotty, of course, kicked six out of the 15. Yep. I think there's a, you, you touched on Paul Northeast. Um, something interesting happened at the aftermatch um, back at Alberton. Is he had a pretty uh, little bit of a dirty year. I think he played a lot of reserves footy that year. There were some articles in the paper which were sort of questioning his uh, his output and and you know where he sort of sat with Port Adelaide at that time. And and he'd come in and had a really fantastic final series. And as you do after the grand finals back then, I think we had a. Uh, Barry Curtin on on the stage and he's going through the players one by one and Paul Northeast comes out and he says um, you know everyone sort of questioned my attitude towards my football well what do you bloody well think of this and he threw his premiership medal into the crowd and just an enigma of a person Paul Northeast just a a strange fella I I, I sort of knew him a little bit you know, spending time down at the club and after the 92 grand final where we beat Glenelg, um, going around to the Sunday after, I think that was, that was a, or the, the Monday, because it used to be the holiday, the holiday Monday and, and Norther would always be there on the Monday, one of the league players that was always there and had enjoyed himself all night and um, catching up with him and, and he'd be handing out the, the Thomas Seymour Hill trophy full of champagne to supporters and I remember him handing me the 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 cup and say have a drink mate have a drink and you know I sort of had a drink of champagne from the Thomas Seymour Hill Cup it was very nice a very very fine moment that one a couple of years before and I remember talking to him after the game and and he was playing on Clayton Lamb I think in that game and um and he was said, oh yeah mate I was I was ready and I was really pumped and I and he said I was and I was had to feed my dog before I went, you know, I gave it to eat, don't you? And I went, would you give him all this? I gave him lamb. I gave him lamb to eat because I was going to eat some lamb that day. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, he's, he was memorable at the 1989 Grand Final. I was at the post-match at the brewery chimney when we did the unveiling. And Norther never ever said a word up to that point in time. We'd never heard him speak. And I think the combined speeches of Paul Northeast fit on the back of a postage stamp at that point in his life. And he's come out and he's, and North have been up there and, you know, your dad, I think it was um, Daryl Hart back then, was it? Mickey Noon, oh, we're really sorry. We've, we've let the SA Football public down and kicked one goal. And North has gone up there and everyone's been humble and, you know, generous and, oh, yeah, bad luck, mate, and all of that. And, and he goes up there and he goes, oh, I've listened to Daryl and Mickey come up here and, oh, he's like John Belushi in Animal House is how I remember it. And I'm probably exaggerating there for it. He's oh, we're really sorry. We didn't mean to let you down. Well, guys, you know what? I'm really sorry too. You know why I'm sorry? Because we let you kick a goal. <laughs> everyone's just burst out laughing at that heart like he was going to cry it was noon and just you know oh, this guy's out of control 
And um, and then I remember at the end, I'd give the players these frisbees to throw the support of them. I swear Northy was trying to ping Noonan Hart in the head with his. <laughs> he, was, he was a funny guy. I mean, I really I loved him. He was just, you had to love Northy. Such he a was, great uh, footballer as well. Bit of an oddball maybe, but just a great guy. If, if Port Adelaide was Animal House. He was John Belushi. Now, we've mentioned uh, the so-called Woodville West Torrens dynasty, which uh, was over pretty much before it began. Um, yeah. They finished second bottom in 1995, the year after. <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 after that, they lost a number of I mean, players. Yeah. They lost about four or five players to AFL level. I think uh, Filippo, Camparelli, um, Zilla, uh, yeah. Kennedy and Sheldrick, I think, left for the AFL. Um, and they just couldn't back it up at all. And mind you, our dynasty, I think we won uh, four more premierships in, uh, from five grand finals after that. That's right. And um, ended the AFL. That's it. So you can stick your, the, <laughs> stick your were, dynasty up your ass, basically. Dynasty. It didn't last very long. It was um, the, the 12-month dynasty. It sort of started when they beat Nord and it ended when we beat them. Absolutely. And it, was, it was over very quickly. And I mean, I mean, the level of ambition was shown by the fact that they, they tried to get in the AFL in the cartel of five other clubs. Mm. And have no identity at all. So, whereas you know Port Adelaide, on the other hand, always stood on their own, done things their own way, and entered the AFL as a single club entity. That's it. We did win, of course. We mentioned a little bit earlier. We won the the license for the the second AFL club in South Australia. Um, such a great moment, such a great achievement. Um, we finally finished our goal of getting into the highest level in the country. <laughs> The, the place where we belong, the stage we we were destined to be on from from the Williams era through the Cale eras, it, it was always heading towards that one point of light and we got there. That's it. Of course, 10 years later, we won our first AFL Premiership. Another 10 That's years, right. do, you, do you see where I'm going with this? Another 10 years? There's something about I, four in the uh, in the year number, I think. There, there's something going on there. You might need to spell it out for me. <laughs> I, I don't always catch on straight away. Well, let's hope uh, this year's another successful year. I think we've done 1994 justice, personally. We've given it, we've given it a good run. I think you're right there. I think, uh, there's, there's not much more you can say about that year. I think uh, the one thing about that year is that I can barely remember a game against any other side other than the Eagles. And I think yep. that was always a thing for Port Adelaide. They were the team we had to beat. And we knew they were the team we had to beat to climb the mountain that year. And they knocked us over a few times during the year, but we got them when it mattered, like we always do. Outside of the finals, I think the only other game that I remember, um, which wasn't against the Eagles, uh, would have been that Glenelg Oval game where we thumped them by 25 goals. Uh, just because of the McLeod debut, the fact Scotty went nuts. You know, We were playing against Mark Williams as coach at Glenelg. Yeah. And we just thrashed them, absolutely thrashed them. Well, I think we've done well. I think we've done well, and I've certainly enjoyed having a reminisce about a wonderful Port Adelaide Premiership year. That's it. Great to have you back on, buddy. Um, great, thank you for inviting we'll me. Back. No doubt to have you on again in the future. That would be great. Thank you again. Go the power. Absolutely. Well, we talked about the players required to lift. One of them was Stephen Williams, who had nine kicks 
and three handballs during the third quarter. The other one emerging with a mark in the opening seconds of this final term, Scotty Hodges. One goal, two. He has had a couple of opportunities to kick goals. Well, 514 career goals. This is one of his most important kicks ever. That goal umpire, I can tell you, hasn't moved a muscle. Scotty's got his second. The grand final's alive. Six points in a 9-7 play, 7-13. Fair question. Fair call. Darren Smith locks arms. Geneva comes charging through. Magnificent game from Timmy. 14 and 4 at the moment. Malik Tellis. He can lift the side. 55 metres out. Here's a chance for Hodges. Can he take it again? He has! Thank you very much. This is almost as if the crowd has injected him with adrenaline and pumped him up, Scotty Hodges, because something's happened. There's been a metamorphosis. Spear has jumped over the top of him, outran him, outbumped him and outbustled him. Scotty Hodges a moment or two ago led out and beat Spear to the ball. Scott Hodges is a champion. McGarry medalist, dual Ken Farmer medalist. And I talked about one of his most important kicks ever a moment ago. He has two. This is the most important kick and he's got it. Port Adelaide are back. The scores are tied away in the grand final. Five and a half minutes in. What a beauty. Sheldridge there. Chapman's caught. Rowan Williams. Smith. That's his name. Hodges. He's got it. He's put it down. No free kick. Play off the goal. Oh, Scotty. All right, Rock. We'll took just his, give you a little... Took his eyes off the footy. We'll just give you a Valium, Rock. Oh, it's a mark. He just eats those normally. Well, you can see what it's doing up here in the commentary box and what's it doing to the crowd and the players. Smith. Chance. Who's got it? Pepper, is it? Hodges. McLeod. Goal of The lead. He's first. Well, McLeod. Kicked it off the ground. Pedler set it up, though, by pushing it forward. And we talk about Dean Van. D. Smith, Hodges, was touched. What play on to the umpire. Was flicked forward. And a row is looking to be stolen from beneath his very eyes. Well done by Piachi. Snared it. Just played the zone defence. Sat back and did it well. Geneva. Get it over the top, son. He does. Borlaes has the runner on the inside. It's Wakeland. Good-looking drop punt. Where's Hodges? He is the danger man at the moment. He's got it. Right on cue, Scotty's coming to the game and he's burst it open. Ominous signs for the Eagles. Hodges, with sheer strength, just elbowed Spear out of the contest. Stood his ground and took a chest mark. He has three goals, two already. Port Adelaide have the upper hand at the moment. They're fought back from nowhere. Neville Roberts questioned the uh, Port Adelaide legs at three-quarter time. They look OK at the moment. This man was always going to be the trump card. Beautiful kick. Split the middle, bullseye, straight through. He gets his fourth. Nine minutes into this, the last quarter, and Port Adelaide are starting to wheel away. There's a couple of things that happened. There's still 20 minutes of the 94 grand final left. It would be very premature to write off this classy outfit called the Eagles. Pedler around the body. Spear sits in front spot. Really needs to take it, Jason. It's given Hodges, who's got a head of steam up. A bit of a charge around the body. Beautifully taken by young Andy McLeod right on the line. He has one and a chance to make it two. And he's inducted into the Australian football talent camp for next week in Wonturna, the King's camp for 50 aspiring AFL footballers. Yes, he has exhilarating pace. Just keep your head down, Andy. He's looking into what sunshine there is. <laughs> I think he's having a quiet prayer. I think so. Into the sun. Little breeze from left to right. Port Adelaide fans rejoice. They go a little further ahead. They eke it 
the difference. And look at the work by Scotty Hodgins. He flicks it out to himself, gathers it desperately on the left foot, creates something out of nothing. They know they're a chance now. Free kick down there it was deliberate. Schwartz ran the ball out of play, and the outfire said it was deliberate and gave Port Adelaide a free kick. Williams, Hodges, a chance. Noah Callis, he can get through, he's got a chance around his body. Six goals on that prize. Noah Callis first. I think they've got it, man.